Can you say today, the Lord is your shepherd? Welcome. It's another look into the life and message of Elizabeth Elliot, who called us to live to a higher standard each day. To not be satisfied with just a little religion in our lives, that's a shallow substitute for what God wants for us. As the series continues in the coming weeks, we'll hear from family, friends, and others who are influenced by Elizabeth's life and message. Today we wrap up our short series on the Psalms with that familiar word from Psalm 23, Shepherd. Joining us today, Steve McCulley, coach and teacher for many years. Also, he's one of the sons of Ed McCauley, one of the five missionaries killed in Operation Alka. He'll talk about Aunt Betty, Elizabeth, what his mother, Mary Lou, did after Ed died. That coming later. Also, we'll hear from Pastor Barry Owens. He was just a boy when his dad told Barry and his brother about the deaths of the five missionaries. How did that impact them for years to come? Join us for that later. Right now, it's the fifth in the five-part series on the Psalms. The Lord is my shepherd. You are loved with an everlasting love. That's what the Bible says. And underneath are the everlasting arms. This is your friend, Elizabeth Elliot, talking again today about the Psalms. I know that I have already skipped over some of your favorite Psalms, We were on Psalm 51 yesterday, and I suppose that if you were to be asked, what is your favorite psalm, many of you would say Psalm 23. And I skipped over them on purpose because I assume that most of you know those psalms. The 23rd says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. And you can probably repeat the rest of it. I left out Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And then there's that magnificent Psalm 91. And the language in the King James Version is so beautiful. I don't think anyone could improve on that. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with His feathers, and under His wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. And I'll pause here and tell you a little story that my friend Catherine Morgan, who has been a missionary in Colombia for pretty close to 55 years, she told me that a friend of hers in Bogota had been reading the 91st Psalm that day. And she remembered that lovely fourth verse, He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. And that day, as she was walking down the street, she was mugged. And she just shouted to the young man, get away, get away, I'm covered with feathers. And the man was so utterly nonplussed that he dropped her purse and ran off. 
you never know what protection you're going to find through memorizing the Psalms. Psalm 91.5, Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee, to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high, because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. And right here I'd like to pray. That's the end of that psalm. But as I was reading it, I thought I should pray for those who were listening. Father, I've just read your words in this beautiful psalm. Thank you for them. Lord, I know nothing of who's listening and who needs the words that I've read which are inspired by your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that you will suit these words very specifically and personally to many who need them today and you know exactly who they are. Thank you, Father, that you've given us these words of life, these wonderful, reassuring, comforting, stabilizing, fortifying words. Help us to learn through them to live in your presence. And if there's anyone here who does not know you, anyone listening, who has no idea what all this Christian stuff is about, I pray, Lord, that you will reveal yourself to that person in such a way as to draw them to put their trust in you, to accept the salvation that you offer through Jesus Christ. Because I pray in your name. Amen. I want to encourage you to get hooked on reading a psalm per day. It'll take you a minute or two for many of them. And if that's all the time you have, then read half of a long one. But read them. Reflect on them. Refer to them when all those petulant hows arise in your mind. How can I do this? How can you expect this of me, Lord? How could you let this happen? The Psalms are so earthy, so transparent, and they should deliver us from thinking that we have to speak timidly to God or that we have to speak in King James English. God sees right through all that sort of posturing. He knows our thoughts before we think them. 
and he has shown us very plainly by preserving these heart cries that we can, that we are free to, that we must be straightforward and honest and transparent with him. So I say to you today, get real. Get real with God. And let me read you another psalm now from Psalm 105. Praise the Lord and pray in his name. Tell everyone what he has done. Sing praises to the Lord. Tell about his miracles. Celebrate and worship his holy name with all your heart. Trust the Lord and his mighty power. Remember his miracles and all his wonders and his fair decisions. You belong to the family of Abraham, his servant. You are his chosen ones, the descendants of Jacob. The Lord is our God, bringing justice everywhere on the earth. Then I'm going to skip a little bit here. This is one of the Psalms that really is a summary of the history of Israel. At the time, there were only a few of us, and we were homeless. We wandered from nation to nation, from one country to another. God did not let anyone mistreat our people. Instead, he protected us by punishing rulers and telling them, don't touch my chosen leaders or harm my prophets. God kept crops from growing until food was scarce everywhere in the land. But he had already sent Joseph, sold as a slave into Egypt, with chains of iron around his legs and neck. Joseph remained a slave until his own words had come true, and the Lord had finished testing him. Then the king of Egypt set Joseph free and put him in charge of everything he owned. Joseph was in command of the officials, and he taught the leaders how to use wisdom. Jacob and his family came and settled in Egypt as foreigners. They were the Lord's people, so he let them grow stronger than their enemies. They served the Lord, and he made the Egyptians plan hateful things against them. God sent his servant Moses. He also sent Aaron to his people in Egypt, and they worked miracles and wonders there. Moses and Aaron obeyed God, and he sent darkness to cover Egypt. God turned their rivers into streams of blood, and the fish all died. Frogs were everywhere, even in the royal palace. When God gave the command, flies and gnats swarmed all around. In place of rain, God sent hailstones and flashes of lightning. He destroyed their grapevines and their fig trees, and he made splinters of all the other trees. God gave the command, and more grasshoppers came than could be counted. They ate every green plant and all the crops that grew in the land of Egypt. Then God took the life of every firstborn son. When God led Israel from Egypt, they took silver and gold, and no one was left behind. The Egyptians were afraid and gladly let them go. God hid them under a cloud and guided them by fire during the night. When they asked for food, he sent more birds than they could eat. God even split open a rock and streams of water gushed into the desert. God never forgot his sacred promise to his servant Abraham. When the Lord rescued his chosen people from Egypt, they celebrated with songs. The Lord gave them the land and everything else the nations had worked for. 
He did this so that his people would obey all of his laws. Shout praises to the Lord. Shout praises to the Lord as you review your history of God's faithfulness in your life. And use the Psalms. Memorize as many as you can. And may the Lord speak to you through his word, whichever part of the word you happen to be reading at a time. It's inspired by God, and it is profitable for correction, for doctrine, for reproof, and for instruction in righteousness. So I hope we can end with that shout praises to the Lord. The conclusion of our short series on the Psalms, and that's called The Lord is My Shepherd. Uh, We do have one more Gateway to Joy program coming up called All in Good Time. Sort of a bonus Gateway to Joy since the series on the Psalms has already ended. We'll be hearing uh, from Barry Owens, who's preached for many years, preached the gospel and seen people and their lives changed. How did his life change when he first heard about the five missionary deaths? Well, we'll hear about that coming later. Right now, it's Steve McCauley, whose dad, Ed, was one of those five who died. And he knew Elizabeth as Aunt Betty. My folks, of course, knew Jim and Elizabeth before they went to Ecuador, but I was only seven months old uh, when we landed in Quito in Christmas of 1952. The guys were killed. I was three years old. Elizabeth stayed out in the jungle, but my mom went into the city. So we lived in Quito, Ecuador, and we stayed there for another six years. And mom and Aunt Betty, all of the adults uh, on the mission field were, if they weren't your parents, they were aunt or uncle. So I've always known Elizabeth Elliott as Aunt Betty. So we we lived in the city. She lived in the jungle. And I again, I found out later that mom and Elizabeth kept in close contact. I found literally hundreds of letters that Aunt Betty wrote to mom over the years. She kept everything. But I didn't meet her again until 1996. So I'm now 44 years old. So they come to stay with us. Of course, my mom is living with my wife and I. So they come to our house, came in, and without thinking, I said, oh, it's so good to see you again, Aunt Betty. And she said, oh, it's great to see you, Steve. And then I said, I'm, I'm hoping, is it okay for me to still call you Aunt Betty? And she looked at me and smiled and said, I can't imagine you calling me anything else. Longtime coach and teacher and son of Ed McCauley, one of the five missionaries killed in Operation Alka, that was Steve McCauley. Later on, we'll be hearing from preacher Barry Owens about how he and his brother heard about the death of those five missionaries and what a lasting impact it had. Right now, though, our Gateway to Joy program is called All in Good Time. So, seems like a good time for that, doesn't it? Donna Otto, who lives in Scottsdale, Arizona, was here to visit me this past week, and we were talking as we do when we get together, about how to organize things. It's a constant concern of mine, and Donna has done an excellent book for those of you who need help in the area of your time management 
and organizing your closets and your garage and your kitchen drawers and your children and your whole life. The book is called All in Good Time, and it's published by Thomas Nelson. Donna told me this last week that a lady in Pennsylvania had called her in tears, absolutely sobbing. She was desperate. She did not have the slightest idea how to go about getting her house in order. Is there anybody listening today that's in that bad a situation? Let me describe what this lady told Donna. She said, I have three days worth of dishes in the sink. I have laundry stacked up to my waist in the laundry room. There are dirty clothes in every room. Ironing is piled up all over the place. Newspapers, toys, wastebaskets, and just, it was sort of a wail, Donna said, that came over the phone. What shall I do? And while she was talking, Donna was just sending up a little prayer to the Lord and saying, Lord, how can I give this woman some hope? I've got to give her some hope. What shall I tell her? Well, this is what she said. She said, you go out to your garage and you get a trash bag or a garbage can or a box or a basket for every room in the house. Take the garbage cans or the boxes or the baskets or the trash bags into the house, put one in every room, pick up every single thing in that room which doesn't belong there, and put it in one bag. Dirty laundry, clean laundry, shoes, toys, newspapers, whatever it is, put it in the bag. Go to the next room and do the same thing. She said, I hoped that she would be able to see a difference quickly. And she said, I told her to call me back in about four hours. Do you know that that lady called her back in three hours? She said, I've done just what you told me. Donna said her voice sounded like a different person. She had given her hope. But then, of course, the next question, the lady said, what do I do now? Well, Donna wasn't at a loss for words. She said, now you take one room at a time, and you take the things out of the bag or the box, one at a time, and you put them in one of three piles. Make three piles. A put-away pile, a give-away pile, and a throw-away pile. Now that's good advice. And I did have a lady talk to me who described her house in a very similar way. She only had two rooms. And when I suggested that what she needed to do was to start with the cleaning out of one drawer, she said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't think you heard me. I'm not talking about one drawer. I'm talking about not being able to walk across the living room. She said, we've only got two rooms. We've got a two-room apartment. You can't walk across the living room. I said, you mean there's stuff all over the floor? And she said, you got it. That's what I mean. And all over the furniture and all over the bed. Well... Donna Otto's book will help you. It's got photographs of Donna's closet. How many of you would like to have photographs of your closets published for the whole world to see? Well, I've been to Donna's house, and it's just exactly the way the pictures show in the book. She shows you how to put things in boxes and how to number the boxes and how to find them and how to stack them. It should be a lifesaver for a lot of you. Let me read to you Donna's two pages on the subject of establishing priorities. 
if there's one question that I get asked over and over and over again, it's how do you set priorities, Elizabeth? You have so many things to do. You have books to write and a newsletter to do and radio programs and things like that. I don't understand how in the world you can set priorities when everything seems to be equally important. This is what Donna says. And she's been talking about writing your goals down. Now that you've written your goals down and placed them in your day book and you're going to review them every so often, your life has become organized. Right? Wrong. You've still got to make your life phrase and goals a part of your everyday decision-making process. This is where priorities come in. Establishing priorities forces us to rate our choices. I shall do this rather than that. Unfortunately, too many of us just say yes to most activities. Priorities help us to say no. A number of years ago, I met an older woman at a church meeting. She wasn't beautiful, but she looked extremely attractive in a tailored gray suit. She talked to me about her family and asked me questions about my family, my interests, and my desires. In the next weeks and months, as I began to know her better, I was even more impressed. She cared for the needs of her family, and she still managed to serve on the school board and participate in a church women's group. One day, I asked this lady how she managed to look so well-dressed, accomplish so much, and still seem so relaxed and full of joy. I have learned to ask myself a very important question before adding any activity to my life. The question is, can someone else do it? At first, I didn't understand what she was saying, and I told her so. There are three, four, maybe five things in life that only I can do, she explained. Those things come first. Everything else is optional. I experimented with this concept in my life, says Donna, and I discovered that it really works. It helped me both to define my priorities and lock in on them so no one could sway me off target. Whenever anyone asks me to take on a new task, a new responsibility or obligation, I first ask myself, can somebody else do it? If the answer is yes, I ask myself, am I meeting my priorities? I like to speak on life management. Can anybody else do that? Yes. I like to teach Cub Scouts. Can anybody else do that? Yes, you bet they can. Can anyone else be David's wife? No. I'm the only one who can do that. I've not stopped speaking to women's groups, but I only accept engagements when they don't infringe upon the things that I alone can do. I stay loyal to my priorities. What are these priorities? What are those things that only Donna Otto can do? Not many in number, just as my friend said, but each a weighty and serious responsibility. Now, if you've got a pencil and paper handy, I would suggest that you may, may want to write down the five things that Donna Otto only can do because they will apply, as you will see, to your life. Number one, I alone am responsible for my relationship with God. And to save time, you can leave out the words I alone in the next four. I alone am responsible for my relationship with God. Number two, I alone am responsible for who I am. I have to provide myself with the intellectual and spiritual stimulation to become all I can be. Responsible for who I am. Three, I alone can be David Otto's wife. Other people will be his friends, his colleagues, his teachers. But I am the only one who can love and care for him 
as his wife. Number four, I alone can be Anissa Otto's mother. Other people will influence her life, but only I can give her a mother's love and care and thereby fulfill my responsibility to her. And the last one, I alone can manage my household. I might have a housekeeper or a husband who helps around the house. Nevertheless, I am ultimately responsible for managing my household. These five things can only be done by Donna Otto. They are my priorities. What are yours? Take a moment now to write them on a sheet of paper. You may be an only child, so the care of an aging parent may be one of your priorities. Now make them a part of your life. Keep them in the back of your mind as you go through the day. Write them somewhere in your day book. She is an organized woman, and as we were talking over our breakfast table just this last week, I was saying, now, when you go to visit Valerie, and she is going to be visiting my daughter, I think, in September, she's going to be speaking for my son-in-law's church in California, I said, I hope you can help Val to help her children to make decisions about what to get rid of, because the job that is almost always asked of me when I go to visit my grandchildren is to help them organize their rooms and their closets and their drawers. And I'm delighted to do that, and I have lots of suggestions that I can make, but it always comes down to decisions. Now, do you wear this T-shirt? Do you need 19 T-shirts? Okay, can you sort out the six T-shirts that you do need and give away the others? And that becomes an agonizing decision for these children, not to mention the four-year-old who wants to keep all the papers that she brings home from Sunday school and all the pictures that she draws for mommy and all the letters that she writes to imaginary friends. And Donna's suggestion is that even the four-year-old must be presented with the ten papers that she's done in the last two days, and you have to say to her, you may keep two. And she's going to have to learn early in life to make those agonizing decisions. Another thing that Donna said to me, which I thought was very interesting, she said, nobody's a pack rat. The people who collect things are the people who can't make decisions. Think about that one. That's called All in Good Time. Well, before we completely run out of time, let's hear from Pastor Barry Owens. Do you have something in your life that when you hear about it, you remember exactly where you were? I remember hearing when Gerald Ford was now the new president. Maybe you have something like that. Well, Barry and his brother had a moment like that when they first heard about the death of the five missionaries in Operation Alka. My brother and I were out in the backyard, and um, my dad was up on the porch, and he said, boys, come here, let me read you something. And she, he read to us the actual release of the martyr of Jamelia. And when he did, my brother looked at me, and I looked at him. And then my brother ended up being a missionary on the foreign field. And I've always believed that that was where the seed was planted. When he went to New Guinea, he wanted to go into a region where no one has been. The Lord spoke my heart about the ministry, and I became a pastor. But anyhow, when I heard the story, of course, it was very moving. A moment in your life you don't ever forget, and it had that impact where you realize the sacrifice that people make and sharing the gospel and what sacrifice they had made, even though we were 
just two boys in the backyard playing. You ponder something. They never left me. When my brother went to New Guinea, there was a tribe of people that no one was able to reach, and he kept trying to uh, get in that area. Was able to get a church started in that tribal area in Lake New Guinea. His name was John Owens, but he had a real heart for going into areas where no one has been. And I will always believe that the seed was planted that day on the back porch of our house, and. Um, and it stuck with me. Charleston Pastor Barry Owens. Thank you, Pastor. Well, it looks as though our time together is coming to an end. Let me, though, thank you for letting us come into your home, your office, maybe along with you as you did a little jogging, wherever we found you today. Thanks for letting us uh, join you. And on behalf of the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation, in cooperation with the Bible Broadcasting Network, let me invite you to check out all the resources at elizabethelliot.org. More talks, devotionals, videos, and other resources, elizabethelliot.org. Until next time, may God remind you daily you're loved with an everlasting love. Underneath or what? That's right. Underneath are the everlasting arms.